Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello and welcome to the show. We are looking forward today to talking with you as we always do. Uh, this is a call-in show, so you can ask whatever questions you like, and we'll do our best at uh, helping you with a hopefully good answer. Uh, our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or you can reach us by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu, gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. The nice thing about the email route is that uh, we can sometimes have a picture attached that may help with a diagnosis or identification of a plant or situation that, that you're curious about. Uh, boy, we finally turned the corner and entered our new year, and that means our big spring fever is just around the corner. Uh, we don't get cooped up uh, all winter like maybe folks would further north, but still, we do have our winter season where when spring comes, we are busting at the gates ready to go. And uh, the one thing that I, I like to remind gardeners of is uh, spring fever. We're going to treat it like it is a, a disease of the gardener's brain. Uh, it's a, like a virus-like thing that affects the centers of our brain that uh, help manage reason. And they sometimes throttle optimism or at least mix optimism with facts uh, on some good ideas. Uh, you know, I, I joke about that, but uh, seriously, uh, when when it's spring and the, the flowers and vegetables and things are being put out and, and uh, the weather is such that you think, my goodness, I need to get out there and plant something or tend to something, uh, we can kind of get real enthusiastic. I, I think the best gardens I ever have are those in my mind's eye before the season begins. Uh, you know, you look at seed catalogs and you see all these beautiful, bountiful uh, vegetables and flowers and whatnot, and you can just dream uh, of your place, uh, your little corner of Eden, uh, in its full glory. And we hope you can achieve that, and there's ways to achieve it. I'm not, uh, certainly not uh, making fun of the idea or the hope of such a thing, uh, but in order for you to realize the hope and the dreams that you have, uh, we need to apply a little bit of facts to that. Uh, and the reason I say that is every year, by the time we get into the season, different times with different plants, but usually by summer, uh, I talk to people or I see pictures from people that are showing me a problem in their garden. And it may be a problem where the plants were planted too close and now they're overcrowded and there's disease issues going on. Uh, whereas with a little bit of facts at the planting time when they brought all these wonderful plants home from the garden center, uh, they would have known the better spacing uh, to put them out. Or maybe it's a variety of vegetable, let's say, that just takes forever to reach uh, harvest date. A brandywine tomato is an example of that. Some of the Depending on the strain of brandywine, some of those are like 80 days to harvest. We need tomatoes that are about 70 days to harvest, uh, ideally. Uh, a little over that is okay, 
But the further you push the harvest when you get your first fruits in, the sooner the heat of summer, which stops fruit set, arrives, and you end up with a little productive window. So with your brandy wines, you'll get some fruit, but you won't get as much fruit as you would if you chose a better adapted variety that is faster from planting to harvest. Get the idea? So there are a lot of different ways things can, can go south. Um, I, I enjoy going to garden centers in the spring and just watching uh, the people uh, because there's so much enthusiasm and so much interest and you, you just, uh, I love seeing that and I think it, it's great. But I've often suggested that maybe we need to uh, contact our legislators and ask for a law that requires a three-day waiting period before you're allowed to purchase plants. <laughs> I hear every garden center screaming, no! Uh, here's the idea. You go up to the uh, to the counter to purchase your plants, and you've got this flat of flowers or vegetables or a mix of both, and the person behind the counter says, uh, okay, have you uh, prepared your soil yet uh, for this? Do you Are you sure the drainage is right and everything? Have you checked your soil nutrient levels and, and gotten that leveled out for everything? And if you say no, they just say, well, I'm going to take this flat, and I'm going to set it down here, and if you'll come back in three days, having done that, you can have your plants. Well, Obviously, that's that's silly, but it makes a point, and that is that to take home plants and plop them down in unprepared soil uh, is just a recipe for disappointment and discouragement, and we don't want people to be disappointed and discouraged. I want you to be inspired by gardening. I want you to love gardening uh, and just find it uh, so successful. Uh, I have an article coming out tomorrow that uh, talks about uh, some of the the things that new gardeners need to be aware of and need to do in order to have success. Maybe you have never gardened and you're finally getting around to trying it out. Great. Welcome to the world of gardening. We're glad to have you. Maybe you have thought about uh, or maybe you've tried gardening and it just seemed to be a failure. Uh, and you, you just say, well, I've got a brown thumb and I can't grow like Grandma did, and you give up on gardening. Well, brown thumbs are not permanent. Brown thumbs are uninformed thumbs. They are uh, inexperienced thumbs, and you can turn a brown thumb green just by learning. And as you start that process of learning, you do it when you listen to the, to the radio show. Uh, you're learning about things about growing. Uh, you hear other people's questions, and they're questions that you have. Uh, or maybe reading uh, a local uh, gardening articles or local, uh, that is Texas local uh, magazines like Texas Gardener, uh, and you get local information that you can apply in, in your garden. And the better you get at that, the more success you have. And uh, just, just realize that gardening is an interaction with nature. It is. Even if we create some unnatural thing like a topiary shrub or, you know, we, well, actually every garden is unnatural in the sense that you tell all the vegetables to grow in rows right here and then to stop right there. And that's where the lawn gets to begin growing and you don't want it growing. That's not how nature plants and that's how, how nature grows, but that's okay. We, we create a garden just like painting a picture uh, that suits us. And as you as you begin to learn uh, how to do that, and you begin to try your hand at doing that, it just gets better. But I can tell you this, I've been gardening a long time, 
And if you knew how many plants I've killed over the years, you'd stop listening to this show. <laughs> uh, a, a, a horticulturist, I can't remember who it was, so I won't throw a name out there in a guess, but some horti- well-known national horticulturist one made, I made the statement that uh, you can't become a good horticulturist until you kill a lot of plants. <laughs> well, that's true of gardening. Uh, just realize that Gardening is not something where, you know, if you fail, it's just horrible and it's all over and you're no good and, and you can't grow things. It, it is something that everybody can do. And, and everybody can do it differently to suit their interests and to suit their, their finances, to suit uh, the space that they have in their yard. Uh, and you just you get to do that and just realize that it's okay to fail. It's okay for things not to do well. Every year you're you're going to have let's say tomatoes for example one year they're bountiful and everything's happy the next year for some reason they're just not and uh, you know we could drill down and find perhaps the causes of it sometimes we don't fully understand it Uh, but that's just part of the what vicissitudes of nature as they put it Uh, it's just part of that ebb and flow but it's not a failure. It, it's You grow a lot of things and you enjoy and the enjoyment is in the process and you are going to have a lot of successes. But don't let, uh, you know, one discouragement uh, stop you from it. Maybe it's a matter of figuring out how to do that, learning how to do that, getting a little more experience. Uh, you can call the County AgriLife Extension Office in whatever county you live in and talk to your agent about, um, you know, questions that you might have. You can... Um, find experienced gardeners who've gardened for years and they can tell you you know what this variety of squash or tomato or pepper or whatever uh, is just outstanding or this species of flower just holds up through the summer really well i'd suggest you go with it in the spring and each time you do that you become a better gardener well i'm doing a monologue and we need to not have that so i'm going to give you the phone number it's 979-845-5600 845-5689 or by email gardensuccess at tamu.edu gardensuccess at tamu.edu uh, I, I do get kind of uh, philosophical I guess about gardening it seems especially this time of year uh, but uh, I you know I just think it's probably the best hobby in the world uh, that you can have of course I'm biased but it it allows you to just to experience life, to interact with nature, which I believe is just part of the the ideal human condition when we're interacting with the world and the natural world, the environment around us. Um, gardening provides a little exercise. Gardening provides a lot of mental uh, stimulation and uh, mental encouragement. I've seen so many research studies where uh, something like they look at depression or they look at issues with memory and other things and they find that when you put gardening into the mix it changes things for the better and so I just think that it is a great thing I I um, we, we gardening keeps us humble for sure because you you when you fail you realize you don't know everything uh, but I think of Thomas Jefferson. I think he said one time, "Though I am an old man, but I am I am still a young gardener," or something along those lines. And and I think that's putting it very very well. Well, let's talk about some things going on around town. Some of the things you might be interested in. 
by the way, pretty soon a lot of stuff is going to be cranking up as we get later in January and February. Lots of uh, activity. Spring is a busy time for learning a lot of things. Uh, but on today, January 5th, this evening at 6.30 p.m. out in Lick Creek Park in the Gary Halter Nature Center. Uh, for those of you new to the area, Lick Creek is out east Rock Prairie Road. Uh, there's going to be a program by the Post Oak Chapter of the Native Plant Society called Conservation Priorities in College Station. And it's presented by Lori Brown. Lori is a new recreation supervisor for the Lick Creek Park Nature Center and the Southwood Recreation Center. And she's going to be talking about some of the conservation priorities that we have in the city. Uh, there's a, um, a very significant interest in doing planning that leads us toward a future uh, that is, is just, that let's say we benefit over the decades ahead because someone stopped and planned and thought and created these natural areas where everyone can enjoy. Lick Creek's one of those right now, by the way. Uh, to go out there and walk the trails through nature uh, is just, it's just really, really nice. And you feel like you've been transported to another place, but it's right here in town. And there are many other areas like that. So that's tonight, 6.30 p.m. There's no charge for that. On Saturday, this Saturday, January 7th, the Rio Brazos Audubon Society is having one of their uh, birding walks. They call him Birding 101 Bird Walk. Uh, and this will be at 8.30 in the morning this Saturday, again at the Gary Halter Nature Center in Lick Creek Park. Uh, and it's a chance for people that are new to birding to sharpen their birding skills and even to learn the basics of identifying birds by sight and sound. So there'll be a, a short talk on field guides and binoculars and whatnot. And by the way, they'll have some loaner binoculars if you if you don't own some. Uh, make sure and bring some water because you're going to head out and have hands-on experience, uh, eyes-on experience, uh, seeing and identifying the birds that are common here in our area. So I hope you, uh, hope you enjoy that. Uh, next Tuesday, January the 10th, the Brazos County Rose Society is meeting. They meet at noon. Now, if you want more information, I don't have a uh, location they provided, but you can call Maggie, and here's the number. It's, a, it's 979 area code 778-4252, and they can give you more information about the Rose Society and the meeting that's coming up next Tuesday at noon. I hope you'll uh, take advantage of some of those opportunities. Um, in my garden, I've been uh, working with vegetables uh, a lot uh, this this winter, and I um, really went all out last year with some plant breeding and things we were doing. But uh, I've got some broccoli that's in. I've got a little broccoli trial going on, looking at some different varieties. you know. But now is the time when we start planting those kinds of things again. All those blue leaf vegetables, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kohlrabi, uh, collards, kale, what am I forgetting? Uh, there's probably, cap, did I say cabbage? Yeah. Uh, those all go in, uh, ideally, starting about mid-January. Uh, and then we can continue planting them on into February uh, through at least three-fourths of February, uh, ideally. Of course, there's room on each end for not so ideal, but still okay. 
but you want to get those in because the heat of summer is coming, uh, even though it doesn't seem like it now, it will. Uh, May is a hot month here. And uh, so you want to get those things in so they have time to develop. Uh, if you're planting seeds of lettuce or spinach or transplants, uh, you can plant those uh, at this time as well. Uh, lettuce is is kind of the poster green uh, but for the cool season. But other things like arugula or rocket or, or rock rocket or rocket uh, is another green that we can plant this time. Corn salad, also called mosh, is a little green we can plant. Uh, and then sorrel. Uh, sorrel is kind of a lemony uh, green that uh, does really well here. I had some really nice sorrel uh, in the garden last year that lasted well into the heat. I was really surprised at how far that went into the heat. But it's a good time to do that. If you're going to plant onions uh, to have onion bulbs, uh, you want to get those transplants out sometime this month or by certainly by early February. And here's why. The onions need to get in the ground and start growing fast. They need water and they need fertilizer to do that because your goal is to grow the biggest onion plant as fast as you can. And here's the reason why. Uh, onions the, that we eat, the rings of the onion, the bulb of the onion, each ring is connected to a leaf. It's essentially the base of a leaf. So if you've got a scrawny little onion plant by the time you want to harvest and it has three leaves on it, how big of a bulb can that be, right? So the bigger and more robust your plant, the bigger and better your onion bulb will be. Now, a scrawny onion bulb tastes just as good as a big one. I mean, they, they you know, they, you just don't get as much harvest. So if you're going to plant red onions or yellow or white or whatever you want to plant, uh, the garden centers that are around town will sell you little bundles of, of onion plants. And you want to plant them about as deep as the first joint on your index finger. Isn't that cool that we have a built-in measuring device right there at the end of our index finger? That's about how deep you plant them. And again, when you get them in the ground, get them in ground that is enriched with compost and maybe even a little extra fertilizer if the nutrients are low. And then keep them moist, mulch well to keep all the weeds out of them because again what are we trying to do? Grow as big a plant as fast as we can. That's kind of the secret uh, in this area uh, to growing onions. Late this month we got a little window, um, let's say the f last week of February or January, first couple of weeks of February, where we would put in our cool season peas. And so that would be like a sugar snap type pea. It would be the kinds of peas that you shell out, like we call them English peas. Uh, and it would also be snow peas, a flat potted, a little BB size seeds in them. Uh, all of those cool season peas they do well in the cool season. They don't do well in hard, hard freezes. The plants are hardier than the than the blooms and, and peas. So if we get them in now, we can get that harvest before it gets hot. And you want to pick varieties that are definitely, definitely uh, under 65 days and preferably under 60 days so that they move really, really quickly and you're able to get the harvest that you want. Well, let's uh, pause a moment. Again, our phone number, 845 5689 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And we're going to go to the phones and talk to Roger. Hello, Roger. Hello there, and Happy New Year to you. And you as well. I've got uh, a couple of verbena bushes, and I've got my uh, favorite kind of flower, which is the Mexican, uh, uh, American, Mexican violet, I guess it is. Okay. And my question is, is that 
I'm sort of afraid to cut them down to the ground now. I do that every year, but I don't want to do it uh, and have them start growing again and then have a have a freeze come. So right. uh, when should I when should I cut them back? Well, cutting them back, uh, I'm assuming the top part is freeze damaged already. Yes, it's all it's, yeah. it all looks terrible. So so cutting them back is not going to stimulate growth. Temperature will stimulate growth. So ah. uh, when you're ready, go ahead and cut them back. Uh, and now, if you you know if you had an evergreen shrub and you trimmed it, we would and had a few mild days, we would expect it to start pushing a little earlier than normal, maybe, but not for these perennials. They they go to the ground. Okay, but Fair if you if you've got Mexican petunia, um, is it about three feet tall, or how how big are the do the plants get? They're they're about. Um, Two feet, something like that tall. Okay, yeah, those things. Be careful. <laughs> they are enthusiastic uh, reseeders. Uh, I had some once in a flower bed, and there was a sidewalk in front of it. And about I don't know, 25 feet down the sidewalk, they started popping up because they threw their seeds on the sidewalk and rain washed them <laughs> 25 feet down and planted some new ones for me. <laughs> <laughs> Just just a word to the wise there. Yeah, no, I, I've got them in several places in my yard, and I kind of enjoy them, really. They, well, they're a wonderful plant. Uh, they're also a good pollinator. Uh, bumblebees find their way into there and have a big time. Uh, but uh, they're tough, but just uh, just be careful. I've had people get omni before for recommending them because they tend to be <laughs> kind of invasive. Yeah, I, I think so. I kind of appreciate that in my yard anyhow. Okay. Okay. I'll go ahead and maybe get out this, this afternoon and start cutting them down. All right. That sounds good. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Roger. Again, the number here is 845-5689 if you'd like to give us a call. Uh, I want to go to uh, talk about an email, a couple of emails that, uh, that I received. Um, <laughs> I had an email from, from Glenn and, you know, I, uh, I am not a physicist, and I, I uh, waded into uh, physics when I talked about freezing, talking about how water, when it freezes, it changes state from liquid to a solid. I think I said it, it re releases a calorie per, per cubic centimeter or something. And uh, Glenn provided me some really interesting information. In fact, Glenn, we need to have a conversation. I want to know more about that. Uh, my, my numbers were off, uh, I think, a... A calorie can change the uh, water can change a, uh, by a calorie per cubic centimeter just for each move in the thermometer, but uh, it's a very different kind of physics. But but the point is is still the case, and he affirmed that that um, when water freezes, uh, it it has to change state, and that that causes uh, a protection on the plant uh, for reasons that I won't try to go into uh, because they're too complex for my brain. But uh, when water thaws, or yeah, thaws and changes from solid to liquid, the opposite happens. Changing state from water, from solid to liquid, or liquid to gas, uh, that is that there is an energy gain or loss that happens in that point. And uh, you may have noticed, uh, put water on the stove and heat it up to boiling, and it gets right up there around 212 Fahrenheit. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, res it's like you have to push it to get it over that line. Uh, there's extra energy required to make that state 
change in water, if I'm using the right term there. But Glenn, I appreciate that email very much. You know, doing, doing a radio show in a university town, <laughs> pretty much any topic I talk about, uh, I'm probably a novice and there's some expert listening at the same time. So, But I take, I take correction or I take uh, clarification either way uh, very well. And Glenn was gracious in his, in his email on that. Um, Let's see. I want to. Uh, I was talking about vegetables, and and the and I want to just kind of finish that just a little bit. Uh, now is also the time when, if you're going to plant an asparagus crowns, January is a good time to get that done. If you're going to plant artichokes from crowns, and those those are sometimes a little hard to find locally, but uh, artichokes from crowns or transplants can also be planted. It's, better early on. Protect them against a really bad freeze like that 17 we had. That wouldn't be good for them. Uh, but uh, get them in soon so that then they can develop a good sizable plant and begin to grow. It's also a time now to start our transplants indoors. Uh, if you want to grow tomatoes and maybe you want to grow a variety you can't find locally, well you can buy seeds of that variety and you can start your own. And by starting your transplants in January for tomatoes uh, and uh, by late January even for, for peppers, uh, it takes about six weeks to grow a decent transplant. I start mine early and I just keep bumping them up. Sometimes I've got one gallon tomato plants by the time the coast is clear and I want to plant them in early to mid-March. Uh, and so uh, starting just count back about six weeks for tomatoes and peppers. Some things move fast. So if you're going to grow squash transplants, which normally we just direct seed to squash. But all the melon family, the, the squash, the cantaloupes, the watermelons, the uh, honeydew, the, uh, the both summer and winter squash, uh, by the way, and cucumbers, those cucurbit type plants can be grown as a transplant. You just don't want to leave them in the transplant cells so long that they kind of get a big mass of roots. Uh, they're not as happy about being transplanted after that. But that only takes you a couple of weeks to grow one, and so you would wait until later. Our average last frost date here is, or freeze date, is uh, February 26th. And it's been interesting. I've, I've done online uh, research on this. You know, we're fortunate to have uh, the Oceanography and Meteorology Department here on campus and uh, the Office of the State Climatologist is here on campus and a lot of a lot of good data out there. And one thing I've noticed is that freeze, last freeze date is moving earlier and earlier in the year. If you go back to data from 20 years ago, the, a decade of data or two from back then versus data from 10 years later or data now, it, it seems that our, our safe date to move out when it's the last average frost date is moving moving earlier. But right now it's, it's uh, February 26th. Now average frost date, what does that mean? If you look at when the last freeze is each year, it's all over the place. Uh, so the average is kind of the middle of that, right? And so when you go with the average, you got about a 50-50 chance of it freezing again, I believe, if I'm correct on that. I'll probably get a meteorological uh, education in, uh, soon here as well. But anyway, uh, it doesn't mean that that's when you're not going to have freeze anymore. Uh, and, and I learned that, by the way, one year I uh, wrote uh, something for, let's say, I was talking to somebody and I said in my article that uh, the last average freeze date, this was in another city, uh, was such and such. And the newspaper came out and it said the 
the county horticulturist says our last freeze this year will be on such and such date. Well, it was about two weeks before that date, and I spent those two weeks trying to convince everybody I could find that I did not say that. That's the last average. I don't know when the last will be. Well, come along to that date, we had a freeze, and then we had no more freezes. So if I had kept my mouth shut, I would have seemed like a clairvoyant with a crystal ball. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, average... Uh, just be aware of that uh, with average. But we try to get our gardens in early. We were willing to cover our plants for a late frost or something like that just to get a good early start because summer's coming. And by the time temperatures are up in the 90s, nighttime temperatures in the upper 70s, our tomatoes, uh, the large-fruited tomatoes, uh, stop setting fruit well. And uh, so anything you can get set before that happens, which that's going to happen in probably May here, uh, then now you'll, you'll still have tomatoes in June, but, but there were tomatoes that set a little bit earlier on, for example. Uh, but anyway, whenever that happens, it's over. Uh, you just kind of finish harvesting that plant. Now, small-fruited tomatoes can keep going. The, the grape type and cherry type, they, they do pretty good in the, in the heat, but not, not ideal. But anyway, so we want to get these things planted at the right time, so don't don't delay uh, on your planting. Uh, I'm growing a, a number of pepper and tomato transplants this year. In fact, I'm planting them this week. Um, you can buy a tray at the store and start your own seeds. I would recommend putting a couple of seeds in a, each cell. That way, if one doesn't come up, you're you're okay. The way I start mine is in a small container. Uh, like one of those plastic containers with a clear lid like you might uh, get as a take-home container in some restaurants or uh, maybe a condiment comes in like ketchup or something like that uh, comes in uh, in other restaurants but if you've got a little clear lid you put the potting soil in there and just moisten it plant your seeds and I may put uh, I don't know 20 tomato seeds in there and once they're up and growing just, just up and sprouting and doing good. You can lift them out and very gently tease them apart and put those into however many containers you want. Like if you have a big 72-cell tray or if you just have some 4-inch pots and you only want three tomatoes, well, you could plant a few. And that way, you use very little space until it's time to move them to the next area. To plant a big flat and have a crop failure, well, that's a, that's a, that's a, large, a large area. So anyway, that's just an idea that you might want to try as well. You want them under good light. Uh, most the, probably the most common issue with our transplants is not enough light. Now, when you overwater, when you get root rot diseases, when you have contaminated growing media, disease contaminated, and then you create that perfect disease environment, which is also the perfect seed starting environment of warmth and moisture, uh, it, it, you end up with problems. Those are issues, but number one is light. And the reason is, Plants are very particular about the amount and the type of light that they get. And I've talked about it more than once on here, uh, about if you're going to grow transplants, buy a decent quality light to grow them in. Uh, the um, uh, T5 um, high output fluorescents do pretty good on this if you get the right wavelengths, uh, plant wavelengths. Uh, and there's some LEDs that do very well on this as well. Uh, but that way you can get exactly the amount of light you want by moving the light closer or further from the plant or the seedlings as they grow. 
and uh, they they're stocky and do well. Uh, one final tip on the, the growth of seedlings is you want to brush over them each day. Uh, some plants, uh, I mentioned cucurbits like a cucumber or a squash, they're already stocky and th if they've got good light they're going to do well. But uh, your little tomato and pepper transplants, if you just kind of rub over them both ways, you know, just kind of brush them this way and brush them that way a couple times a day, it's it stimulates the plant to grow stockier. Um, uh, it's called, let's see, thigma, thigmatropism, something like that. Uh, and the, I'm, gonna, I'm probably missing that word, but uh, that, uh, that movement, it's like a simulated wind. And as the plant gets bent, th there's things that happen in the plant that says, hey, let's make a stronger stem here because we're getting pushed back and forth. Uh, and so when you grow a transplant in perfectly still air, uh, if the light isn't perfect or, or really good and it's perfectly still, we often end up with somewhat uh, spindly transplants. That's especially true without good light when you put them by a window and they're not getting enough light. But uh, that thigmatropism, just to move them over, move them with your hand, uh, brush them over a couple times a day, will make a difference in the stockiness uh, of your little seedlings. Just another tip, uh, hopefully, that will be helpful for you. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu. Dot edu garden success at tamu.edu. Uh, I was uh, talking uh, earlier about uh, things going on uh, in the community. Uh, I do want to uh, recommend a couple of other things that go on each week. Uh, one of them is the uh, Aggie Horticulture's Facebook Live. Uh, Aggie, if you go to the Aggie Horticulture's Facebook page. Uh, and you, um, there's a, a Facebook Live that goes on on Wednesdays and on Fridays. Very short talks on gardening topics. Occasionally I'll do some. The specialists at A&M do a lot of them. And uh, the, you, you can learn about things that are timely all over the place. Vegetables and fruit and, and lawns and, you know, you name it. Uh, grape growing and other things. But those are available on Aggie Horticulture Facebook Live. And then you can go watch the past ones. So we've been doing this for a long time now, pretty long time now. And you can go back and there's a whole lot of videos that you can go back and watch. And I think that's great. Uh, one of the nice things about technology and gardening is that you create an educational product, you put it out there on the web, and people can watch it in their pajamas at 2 in the morning three years from now when it was live a long time ago. So that's just a, a good thing. Check out Aggie Horticulture Facebook Live. It is really, really uh, well, well worth it. I think you will find that uh, you can learn a whole lot. Well, let's go to the phones again. And our number, 845-5689. And we're going to talk to Maggie. Hey, Maggie. Hello, Skip. Hey. I was just calling uh, to ask about um, all the, uh, um, I had uh, some, um, those, uh, whatchamacallit, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, uh, um, uh, the roses, mm -hmm. and knockout roses, mm -hmm. and all the frost bit stuff. Is it okay to start trimming some of that stuff off? Yeah, you know, a lot of times we do rose pruning in February. Right. Uh, roses are a, are a plant that the 
pruning will be a stimulating process. Now, if the temperature is still cold, it's not going to force growth. But if we have some warm temperatures, when you prune, it tends to push new growth out. And so we usually wait a little longer on the roses. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that you shouldn't prune roses, let's say mid-January, mid but uh, I usually wait a little bit later into early February. What we find a lot of years, though, Maggie, is the roses get kind of rambunctious, and they start growing <laughs> whether we prune <laughs> or not. And so that's a reason to prune them a little bit earlier. So I'm not saying don't do it now. In fact, a lot of people do do it now for that reason. Okay, and what uh, about also the, the uh, Confederate jasmine, all the the browning leaves and stuff. Yeah, Confederate jasmine, um, It's you could also cut it back now. In fact, I'm going to talk a little bit about some perennials and things. I need to mention that today while we're, we're on the radio. Oh. But you can do some pruning back on it. Uh, it It is a wonderful plant in, in terms of vine when it comes to just smelling delightfully, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would uh, I would probably on it hold off a little bit, but you, I, I don't think there's a problem going ahead and pruning it back a little bit. Okay, and when you say pruning it back a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, it looks like all of mine turned brown all almost brown. all the way to, to the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through the it, trellis. it is not it is not going to be an evergreen vine all winter above ground uh, in in the climate that we often have. So you you can take it back as far as you need to, and if that's all the way to the ground, that's fine. But uh, just look at how it's how it's doing, and you know as you go back, take your thumbnail, scratch the vines, and see. Sometimes in protected locations, uh, it seems to hold up a little bit better through the winter. But uh, if you want to treat it like a perennial, that's also fine. Okay, that sounds great. Just wanted to, just didn't want to cut off any, you know, new new buds or anything like that. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, enjoy. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's a wonderful day to do it. Thank <laughs> you so much. Thank you, Maggie. Uh, right. Let's let's go back to the phones now, and we're going to talk to John. Hello, John. Good afternoon. Uh, I have a question about you know we were talking about you were talking about potting soil yes. for your or your starts yes. under the light. Uh, you know, you go to the big box store, even producers co-op, they've got three or four different things that say potting soil. Yes. Uh, is, is there something that you look for as for in the contents of the potting soil? Well, or, uh, yes. You want, you want something that uh, typically those are going to be uh, peat, ba- based on peat moss with either perlite and or vermiculite added to them to help keep the peat from being mucky, soggy, wet, to kind of open it up a little bit. Uh, but now some are being based on coconut coir. It's the, it's the fuzzy stuff on a coconut that's been uh, ground up into just a very fine um, material. Uh, and that, that's also fine. When it comes to which one, you know, I don't want to get into brand names and stuff, but sometimes you get what you pay for to some degree, uh, and that's certainly true of potting soil. Uh, I would I would go with one that uh, it, it just just a maybe say a brand that's been around a little bit longer that you're more familiar with. When you open a bag of good potting soil, it looks just like what you would expect, like what I described. Sometimes we open some things and they're a little bit chunky. Uh, they, maybe they were based, they had some compost in them, and they may not say potting soil, but they may have growing media or some other name on them. It's a wild west when it comes to naming things that are based on organic matter, whether it's compost or, 
or whatever. So I guess visually, and if you go with a good brand name, you're probably going to be just fine. Uh, now, what, okay. are you, what are you wanting to start? Everything. Everything. Okay. So what I, I mean, do, yeah, what I do is I like seed starting mix. Think of potting soil that's been ground even fi much finer. Uh, seed starting mix is nice when you have little seeds, uh, you know, like a little um, broccoli seed or something small like that, because it doesn't fall down between the larger particles, so you have control over how deep you plant it, and it's easy to get good soil-to-seed contact, so it absorbs the moisture and grows well. But rather than just filling all my trays with seed starting mix, I'll usually put potting soil in about two-thirds or three-fourths of the way, uh, and then finish the top with seed starting mix. Uh, and, and that's and, what it's called, a seed starting mix? Yeah, it'll, it'll say, you know, mix for seed starting or something like that. But when you open it, it's a very fine textured. Now, if you're growing a squash plant, oh my gosh, potting soil is just fine. You don't need fine textured because yeah. they're big old giant seeds, right? But when you're looking at something smaller, it's just a way to do a little bit more of a precision job. And I know people that, and I have in the past, just use potting soil for everything. But that is one benefit of the seed starting mix that I mentioned. You were talking with with uh, Maggie about vines, but I didn't hear what kind of vine. Is it time? Is it this is the right time to prune grapevines? Uh, yes. Uh huh. It, she was talking about a, a Confederate ro uh, Confederate jasmine, I believe, is is what we were discussing. Okay, but uh, we we uh, like three different kinds of grapes, and I didn't. Yes. But difference, they're all ready to be pruned. Yeah, yeah it's good to do that uh, in the middle of winter to get that pruning done. Uh, typically a little bit later than midwinter maybe, but one thing that happens is as a grape starts to push new buds and growth, there's a lot of sap flow. And I, I've cut vines off on grapes and they just dripped and dripped and dripped. And you could say the vine bled, but uh, it just it's just dripping and dripping. That's not going to kill the plant, but uh, I like to get the pruning done a little bit earlier than that. Uh, but uh, now would be a fine time to go ahead and do, do your grape. A large, uh, it's a it's a native grape uh, on a grape arbor that you know we'll worry about the grapes, but, mm -hmm. but right, I, I haven't talked to you about this particular grapevine before because the the coming out of the ground, it's probably three and a half or four inches in diameter, and okay. uh, and I've and I've really gotten really rowdy with it a couple of times and cut off a lot, mm -hmm. and you. You're right. I mean, there were gallons yeah. of juice yeah. that came out of it. Out of it. I thought I'd killed it. For yeah. Sure. No, but, no, you didn't. But I don't know. I just don't think that's a good thing. Uh, well, maybe we'll have a grape specialist call in or email me and and say, <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I don't worry about it, but I tr I try to avoid that. It is. It is. It's a. You know, it is a very old grapevine that's been mm -hmm. here. You know, twenty five years or so. It's. Right. And uh, we try to keep it under control, but it keeps wanting to go up into the trees and everything else. And so we we uh, sometimes have to get pretty aggressive. But 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 it keeps coming back. I mean, it just you know. Of course, we water it too in, right. in the hot part of the summer, and we try to take care of it. But you know, if something's anyway. if something's kind of growing wild and native in a place, you kind of figure out it knows how to grow there, right? And it does pretty good. So that's true. Do you know that Texas has more species of native grapes than any place else. 
that no. I did, wouldn't have thought that, right? Uh, but it sure does. Uh, we have a lot of different kinds of native grapes, and and Texas native plants or native grapes have have had a big uh, place in the wine industry as well, because they they are uh, resistant to uh, a particular disease that almost destroyed the French wine industry. Right. Right. Yeah, so. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate your. Your help always, and uh, thanks a lot. Well, good, and have fun starting those plants. It's time. It is time. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for that call, John. Our phone number, 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu, gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Uh, let's see, uh, Suzanne uh, emails, she'd planted some 1015 onions, uh, onion sets in mid-December, and, and two weeks later had the 15-degree temperatures. Uh, didn't cover them. Should she have? Well, currently have one to two small green uh, tops, uh, only sporadic. You know, I, I generally, when it's going to get really cold like that, um, I, I generally will cover things. Just even things that probably are hardy enough, because 15 is that's that's too cold. That's too cold, and and I, I had damage to even some some covered uh, broccoli plants that I had had a little bit of damage uh, on on those uh, this year. So I think probably it would have been a good idea. Should you start over? You know, I I can't see your plants, and I, I don't know how far back and how much how much damage uh, there would have been. Assuming that they've already started making roots, if they still have a shoot down inside to come back out fresh and green, which I bet they do, I would probably leave them. Because if you start over, you're starting over with a little dry transplant, uh, no roots that are alive, and then it's got to make roots. So that's my best recommendation, but there's, you know, that's a qualified suggestion, I guess, is the way to put it. Uh, but boy, it's fun to grow your own onions. I grew a bunch last year, and we're still eating some. In fact, from last year, uh, that we that we grew, and and it's just fun to grow to grow your own. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to the phones now. Again, the number eight four five fifty six eighty nine, and we're going to talk to Kim. Hello, Kim. Hi, Skip. Hi, Skip. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Um, I had a question regarding the potting soil you had just mentioned. How yes. long does that soil and bag stay good? Because I bought some for the fall garden that I did not end up using and mm. wasn't sure if it would be good till next season. Yeah, it is. It's good. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it's just think of decomposed material. How long is compost good? You know, it just kind of yeah. continues to break down. Now, if it's peat-based, it's not going to break down very fast, but uh, I use it. I'll even reuse occasionally uh, potting soil from pots, and that's a big no-no. Uh, but you can put it in a, one of those turkey baking bags, you know, the plastic bags you can put a turkey mm-hmm. in, and uh, make a hole or two, and you got to be careful, but you heat it, you moisten the soil, heat it up to a certain temperature for a certain amount of time. If you go too hot, you will stink yourself out of the kitchen, uh, and it will essentially, um, uh, you know, pasteurize uh, that, that potting, or, yeah, pasteurize that potting soil. So if you had any concerns about old 
old soil, you could still go. So I guess I'm taking it all the way back to goodness, something's been sitting in your container all year is just still good. Would it be bad to put that used soil in your compost pile? Oh, no, not at all. No, put it in your compost pile. Put And I, uh, you know, unless it's a really unique thing, like you had nematodes in it or it had a specific bad root rot that Uh killed the plants. I would I use my old potting soil when I'm potting up larger plants. So maybe I'm moving tomatoes from a little cell tray up to a four inch pot or a gallon pot or something, or I'm I'm bumping a, another plant up to a larger size. I, I use that. And when I'm filling a big container, I'll throw that stuff in the bottom uh, and then put fresh stuff over the top just because it saves you a little bit on potting soil. Yeah, I do that too, so that's good. Yeah. Um I also had a question regarding the fall garden, um, I used a lot of leaves to try to um, add some mulch to the top, and I also covered it. Mm-hmm. But I noticed in the last week that some of the plants that I thought were okay are starting to look brown on the leaves, mm-hmm. the cauliflower, um, the broccoli. Mm-hmm. How do I know if those are going to come back or if they're too far gone? You know, I, I've, been, I've been looking at that. Uh, condition and and it happened on some of my plants that I covered it's like the cover got them through the bitter cold Mm -hmm. but then it was a clear cover in this case and so then the sun came out and I went to pull the cover off and I think if the plants got really cold and then they heat up really fast the next day maybe they maybe it's a cold hardy plant like broccoli and it it sort of freezes but it normally could kind of take that degree of cold but then when it gets really warm I, I started noticing later uh, browning uh, of the plants as well. So I think I think that's kind of normal. Again, you just kind of look at the plants. Um, if you got a halfway decent plant with some good healthy leaves on it, I'd leave it and let it grow because when you start over with a new one, you're going backwards pretty significantly. And it may be that that good base and root system is enough to push good, fast new growth and keep you ahead of the game. Are those leaves okay to leave on, or are they going to cause it to be smothered? Because I noticed, unfortunately, that by putting the leaves on there, I sure did attract a lot of pill bugs. Oh, yeah. Well, pill bugs love, but in general, there are a few exceptions. But in general, pill bugs are not a problem in in your garden plants. Growing strawberries or something like that, they will be. uh, So leave the leaves. Just if you can grind them up with a mower, kind of breaks them down, makes mm-hmm. a, a denser mulch that really blocks the light without being as thick as it, and, and the leaves don't blow around your garden that way. Uh, but I do that all the time. A constant mulch. Now in the spring, if I were going to plant tomatoes, let's say early, uh, I would pull my mulch back a few days ahead and let that soil start to warm in the sunshine. Uh, because if you keep it completely mulched, your tomatoes will be very slow to get going in that colder soil. But that's about the only time I don't have mulch on a bed. Okay. Is it okay to go ahead and cut off the dead on all the things like the herbs and things that just didn't make it through the cold? I mean, some actually look okay, but others are completely dead. Yeah, it's fine. And, you know, (laughs) I, I cut a lot of plants back. That it's just with some things, if you take every green leaf off, it's a little too much of a shock for it. But on a lot of stuff, you you ask taking off the dead. That's absolutely fine. Okay. All right. Thank All right. you. All right, Suzanne. Thank you very much for the call. I'm sorry, Kim. I'm looking at an email here. <laughs> 
Um, well, we were talking about that with uh, Kim, and let me just make a few statements about uh, perennials. Uh, perennials are, uh, the term perennial applies to your area of the country, meaning if you go down to I-10, things like uh, yellow bells, Esperanza, are a perennial. If you go up to Dalhart, it's not. It's an annual because it'll freeze to death. So perennial is a relative term, if you will. And we have plants that are perennials. Aggie Horticulture has a section where they talk about, uh, in the Texas Superstars, they call them per-annual plants, meaning they're kind of in between. It depends on how cold it gets where you live. And and so uh, a yellow star or yellow bells, Esperanza, is one of those plants that freezes to the ground or sometimes not all the way to the ground and some of the top growth stays. Another one is Duranta uh, that does that. Uh, let's see, there are some other examples that just aren't coming to mind at this moment. Uh, but on those kind of plants, the plant you're left with in the spring, if it didn't freeze to the ground, is kind of lopsided, lanky, you know, doesn't look right cut them to the ground, they'll come right back out of the ground and you'll have fresh, new, vigorous growth that looks just fine, a well-shaped plant and so on. Uh, so go ahead and cut those back. Uh, if you have um, the uh, one of my favorite uh, summer flower plants is Red Bird of Paradise. Um, Cesalpinia is the, the, the genus of it and it will die to the ground all the time, sometimes completely die, uh, but I cut all those back now. If you have ornamental grasses, the top is all dead. It's tawny colored, and uh, you can just leave it, and fresh new growth will come in, but you've got the brown and the, or the tawny and the, and the green, and it just doesn't look as good, so cut it back. Just think of a you know, taking it all the way back to, of course, it depends on what you're talking about. Ornamental grasses is everything from pampas grass down to, uh, you know, gulf muley that you see around here, little bitty plants. But take it back to a few inches above the ground. You know, if it's a big, thick miscanthus or maiden grass, maybe, you know, cut it off about 10 inches high or 8 inches high, something like that. Uh, and then when the fresh growth comes, you'll have all new, fresh green growth, and that I just think is a good a good thing to do. Uh, one thing I didn't mention in talking about things to do now is planting fruit. Uh, fruit and nut trees uh, are, are available, are becoming available. I haven't checked at a garden center in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, those are uh, uh, really, especially if they're bare root, are, are, well, are best planted in the, the middle of winter. Uh, and so you, the sooner you get them out, the faster they establish. Even if they're container grown, when you pull them out of the container, cut any roots that are grown in a circle, get them in the ground, same height, this is true of trees and shrubs, same height that they were growing in the container where the normal soil line is. With trees, I say dig down uh, in that pot if there's not a root near the surface and find the topmost root on the root ball and plant that root right at or barely below the surface. And and that plant will do much better as a result. If you're planting fruit, give us a call at the Extension Office or go to Aggie Horticulture website in the fruit section and it will give you a list of recommended varieties, or I can do that from the Extension Office, uh, for your area. And it will tell you if you need another variety for pollinating. Peaches, can you can have one peach tree and it pollinates itself. It does just fine. 
uh, but a lot of pears and apples, uh, for example, uh, need another pollinator to really set fruit well. And things like blueberries, which we really don't grow much here, they do better when they have a pollinator, but they'll they'll produce some without it. But anyway, those are some tips. Well. Goodness, we've been talking about all kinds of things spring. Uh, we're going to talk about some more things next week and hopefully answer your questions as well along the way. I want to remind you that past shows are available online to listen to and by podcast. So check with your podcast supplier. You can go back and listen to past shows. And by the way, if you, if you missed our end of December show, uh, 50 Common Mistakes That uh, Gardeners Make, I think you will find it uh, interesting and perhaps helpful as well. So go back and check that out. And also, when you're out and about, uh, tell your friends about garden success, and, and, and especially if they're interested in gardening, encourage them uh, to be a listener as well. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm your host, Skip Richter, and we're going to be back again next Thursday with you live again. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.